Hello, my name is Rebecca Kaufman, and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. Anyone who has read economist Tyler Cowen's popular blog knows his passion and areas of expertise extend well beyond the traditional realm of economics. For Cowen, the economics of food have particular interest. And in his latest book, An Economist Gets Lunch, Cowan digs right in. Part travel guide, part food policy book, An Economist Gets Lunch explores the questions of how and why we eat the way we do today and offers suggestions on how to do better. I sat down with Tyler Cowan to talk about his new book. He started by telling me that he hopes his book encourages people to think about their food choices from the perspective of economics. This book is about the economics of food. It's about how to think of our food worlds from the point of view of an economist with the question of how can I get food that will taste better, be cheaper, and how can I understand food worlds to have more interesting experiences. So if you're in a strange area and you're choosing a restaurant, what are the economic principles which govern which restaurant you should go to? How do you decide how to order something from the menu? How did American food ever get so bad? How should you think about eating Asian food in America? All the kind of practical questions, how to think about those conceptually from the point of view of an economist, including food policy, that's what the book is about. As you just mentioned, the book focuses on how Americans eat. Why do Americans eat so badly today? American food has gotten a lot better over the last 30 or so years, so you can see a lot of progress. And if you know what you're doing, you can eat quite well in this country. But the average meal is still pretty gruesome. One problem is just how much we put children in charge. So we've let them make our food sweeter and softer. And parents take kids out to where the kids want to eat, which might be McDonald's. They cook for the children. I much prefer the French attitude of the parents eat what they want, and they expect the children to elevate their taste to that level. And if they don't, that's their problem. Most of the world actually eats that way. But we've also had a culture which is very puritanical and somewhat hostile to alcohol, culminating in prohibition. And keep in mind that drinks are a kind of cross-subsidy to restaurants and good food in general. America also cut off immigration for almost 50 years, and this hurt our food lives a lot, too. In general, you're a big proponent of immigrant food and eating eth- ethnic restaurants, and you go into a great depth in this book to talk about how to choose different restaurants. Choose a Thai restaurant that's attached to a motel. Why Vietnamese food is better in America today than Thai food. How does this play into your general thesis of the book? Well, one economic principle is simply that competition works. So around northern Virginia, for instance, you have a lot of Vietnamese restaurants close together. You know if you go to any one of them, they'll be good, because competition means the bad ones drop out. The same with Korean restaurants in northern Virginia. If you look at, you know, New Zealand, but more even Australia, United Kingdom, Canada, United States, they've all gone from being pretty crummy food countries to being pretty excellent food countries, and most of the credit goes to immigrants. It's lower prices for demanders who are more price sensitive, to use some economic language. Uh, And they're very creative and ingenious at blending sauces, spices, and different ingredients. One way you experience ethnic cuisine is by shopping exclusively at a large Chinese grocery store near your home for one month. Why did you do this? It's called the Great Wall. It has a much better and cheaper selection of greens. Every time I went there, I found myself eating more greens. I didn't need to lecture myself about why it was good for me. I simply wanted to do it because it tasted good. They had a better selection of seafood. It just forced me me to rethink my entire food life and start from scratch, so to speak. It was like being a food immigrant all over again. So I would recommend it for anyone who has this alternative. 
does it address the problems of how well Americans are eating or how much they're spending on food? Well, if you shop there, you will spend much less on food. You won't find a lot of good junk foods to buy. They do have junk foods, but most Americans won't like them. Uh, and you'll eat more greens and you'll eat more seafood. Now, that won't solve all our problems by any means, and it may create some new ones with seafood, but overall, you will have a better food life by doing this kind of experimentation. You travel a great deal, and when you are in foreign countries, you use this as an opportunity to try new food. What food advice do you have for people when they are traveling in foreign countries? Well, I consider many different parts of the world and give people advice on how to find good restaurants. A lot of the advice actually boils down to figuring out whom to ask and how to convince that person that you're serious about eating well. Because too often at first, people answer to try to please you, a foreigner, whom they view as strange and not understanding their food, and you need to communicate your credibility. In the past, you have written about what you call the Great Stagnation, the idea that in advanced countries, economies have slowed down because new technological advancements haven't packed the same economic punch they once did. In your latest book, An Economist Gets Lunch, you call for a food revolution and say this could actually be one of the ways to address the great stagnation. What do you mean by this? Well, in wealthier countries, if people's incomes aren't going up very much, one way they can increase their real income is to save some money on food and to eat better and cheaper food just by understanding better how food markets work. But keep in mind, in the developing world, there has been a great stagnation in crop yields. So the Green Revolution is mostly over, and since the early 90s, agricultural productivity has been going up at a much slower rate. So this means food for a lot of people is more expensive, and this is in many ways the number one problem in the world right now. It's not getting enough attention. How can this be addressed? What are the solutions? It depends, of course, on the country, but in general we should be spending more on agricultural research and development. And just by starting to see this as a major problem or maybe the biggest problem in the world today, that would be the first step. Right now, when you look at discourse about food, it's about local food, it's about being trendy, and that's missing the main issue, which is still a lot of people out there are hungry or suffering from malnutrition. This isn't a trendy food book, and in fact, you actually go after some of the popular trends, and one of them is that it's healthier and more environmentally friendly to eat locally grown and raised produce and meat. Why do you take issue with this? Well, I think local foods often taste better, and sometimes I eat them myself. There's nothing wrong with local food, but it's a mistake to think you're much helping the environment by eating it. Most of the environmental cost of food has nothing to do with its transportation. It has to do with its production. Furthermore, a lot of local farmers are not efficient, or imagine that you lived in Albuquerque in the middle of the desert. Think of how much water it would take to eat just local food. It would be an environmental disaster. So I'm not against local food per se, but I think it's trendy, I think it's oversold, and I think people are fooling themselves into thinking they're virtuous by eating it. Eat it if you like it, leave it at that. On a practical level, how can people eat the way you suggest in the book? What are the choices one can make on a day-to-day basis? Well, again, people. It depends who you are and where you live and, and what's your income and what's your demographic. But a few ideas are just eat more in cheap ethnic restaurants, figure out the importance of ordering the right thing, shop more in ethnic supermarkets, overall eat less meat, I recommend, and just specialize in some very quick, very simple, very easy recipes where you can store the items in advance, and the decision to cook does not have to mean a decision to make another trip to the store, because then the chance that you will do it is much, much less. And all those things will help your health, your pocketbook, and your taste buds. And finally, what are you eating for lunch today? 
Uh, I met someone for lunch. We had Persian food. We had a dish called Gorma Sabsi, which is a beef stew with greens and a lot of herbs and spices. Uh, it was delicious. He was also impressed. It was about $10. A full meal. Uh, my dinner can be a light snack. That was economist Tyler Cowan speaking about his new book, An Economist Gets Lunch. You can read a review of the book in the June issue of Finance and Development. And to hear more podcasts from the International Monetary Fund, visit us online at www.imf.org podcast. <laughs>